0: Well I said we're going to be studying proverbs but uh, first I would ask you to turn uh, in the New Testament to the book of Titus good book short letter from the apostle Paul uh, but um, this morning in my devotional reading which is you know reading God's word to for for my feeding not for study for teaching anyone but Every one of us are to be in God's word every day, uh, reading, studying, learning. And this morning as I was in my devotional reading, uh, one of the scriptures I came to was Titus chapter 2. And I was really drawn in Titus chapter 2 to the end of the chapter beginning in verse 11. And in verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared. That's referring to Christ. Christ is is the grace of God personified. And that has appeared bringing salvation to all people. Uh, Not that all people are going to be saved. We know that that's not the case. But in that There is no people in the world who are excluded from salvation. There will be Chinese. There will be Mexicans. There will be Africans. There will be Canadians. There will even be some Americans uh, in God's family, and uh, that God's grace has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. But look at verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age. And I was just really struck by that whole verse in verse 12 that God is training us. Uh, we, we talk about sanctification. This is This is taught dealing with sanctification. As he is making us more like Christ, he is training us, training us to renounce ungodliness. Our flesh is is always inclined towards ungodliness, but he's training us to renounce it and uh, to renounce worldly passions. The world is always trying to squeeze us into its mold and push us in its direction and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I, I was just really struck by that. And then I, with teaching Proverbs tonight, I, I turned my thoughts to the fact that, that Proverbs has directly brought our attention to all kinds of areas in our Christian life where God is training us in godliness and, and uh, rejecting ungodliness and, and money issues and family issues and job issues and on and on and on it goes. The book of Proverbs is given by God as part of that uh, training institute that uh, he has us in. And then, of course, uh, in, uh, in verse 13, it turns to the glorious hope waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for his people a people for his own possession. Who are zealous for good works. And, and Proverbs is helping us in that too, uh, to, to, to be this people of, for, who are zealous for good works and who are purified. So I praise God for the book of Proverbs and what God is doing in my life and in our life, uh, lives as we go through this. And tonight we come to Proverbs chapter 16 verses 18 through 23. And as I've mentioned the other times, these individual Proverbs have titles. These titles are adapted. I didn't come up with them all myself. They are adapted from a book, The Wisdom of Proverbs, by Bob Beasley. In honor of God's word, let's stand as I read Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 through 23. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The wise of heart is called discerning, And sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it. But the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. This is God's word. You may be seated. Our first... Proverbs tonight is actually two verses, and uh, it is titled, Walk in the Spirit of Humility. Look beginning in verse 18. Pride goes before destruction. Now, verse 5 in chapter 16, that we looked at a couple of times ago, Verse 5 has already called pride, there it's called to be arrogant in heart, but it's talking about pride. Uh, Verse 5 has already called pride an abomination to the Lord. And uh, we saw back in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, that pride is among one of seven things that are specifically listed that God hates. Uh, there, uh, in the ESV, it's called haughty eyes, but it's another term for pride. Uh, in uh, other translations, it's called the proud look, but it's, it's speaking of uh, pride. So uh, pride is something we have to realize. God hates pride. And it's among those seven things especially that he hates listed in the book of Proverbs. And, of course, uh, we see all the time some people are proud of their good looks. Others are proud of their talents. Some are proud of their position at work. Some are proud of their good grades. Some are proud of their cars and their houses and all kinds of things. And then you go on Facebook and social media, and pride just oozes out uh, from those but the pride are forgetting, among other things, a very important principle that God gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, which Pastor Steve, uh, in, in the series we're doing on Sunday mornings uh, from 1 Corinthians, we covered that some time ago. But 1 Corinthians 4, 7, where Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, what do you have? That you did not receive. If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? It's grace, and um, we we are told, you know, we wouldn't have anything were it not for the Lord. He's given us the strength to to earn money. Uh, he's given us the jobs. He's given us all kinds of things and we we dare not be lifted up in pride about these things in fact the next phrase in verse 18 says pride goes before destruction now the last time we looked at proverbs we ended with verse 17 and the last phrase last line of verse 17 whoever guards his way Preserves his life, and we talked about that the last time that we looked at Proverbs. But the proud person doesn't think that he has to guard his way, and uh, he's just uh, totally consumed with what he is and what he's done, and and so on. And uh, pride makes them think that they are invincible. So God says, "Well, there's another side to this. The truth is." that pride goes before destruction. Now, this, the, Greek, the Hebrew word destruction there is descriptive of the shattering of a bone. Every once in a while, someone falls and they don't have a clean break, but you hear that the bone was shattered, and that is, that is a serious, serious thing. And so here he's talking about people and their pride and, and a proud person's life and dreams. God says will be shattered as a result of their pride. That's part of God's judgment. There's lots of examples uh, in scripture. I've put some of them in your notes there. One, for instance, King Amaziah. He was king of Judah. Uh, He's talked about in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 25. Uh, King Amaziah uh, had a wonderful defeat of one of God's enemies, the Edomites. It was a significant defeat. Uh, but you know what he did after that? He adopted some of the Edomite gods as his gods. Uh, and he, here, here he is, filled with pride. Look what I have done, not realizing God gave him that battle. And then in his arrogance, he starts to worship some of the gods of the Edomites uh, that he had destroyed. Well, you read in 2 Chronicles chapter 25 that in his pride, he refused to listen to a man of God that God sent across his path for the purpose of warning him about his pride and about his false worship. But he refused to listen uh, to that rebuke from the man of God. And in 2 Chronicles 25, you see that he subsequently suffered a humiliating defeat from the king of Israel, the brethren. And uh, that was the judgment of God. His life and dreams were shattered. He was so lifted up in pride, but shattered. Then comes uh, another king right after him, King Uzziah, in 2 Chronicles 26. And let's turn there to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. So in chapter 26 of 2 Chronicles, uh, Uzziah became king of Judah at the age of 16. And he started well a wonderful thing to read how he he started so young and started well but look at chapter 26 verse 5 he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God and as long as he sought the Lord God made him prosper doesn't get better than that great start but as he continued he rebuilt Israel's military towers and towns and he did other great things but in verse 16 you start to see a downward progression look at verse 16 but when he was strong he grew proud I put some exclamation points in my bible above that expression he grew proud just to draw my attention to the fact that he started well, but he grew proud. To, and then the author of Second Chronicles adds the commentary to his destruction, just as our proverb tells us. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. That was pride exemplified. The chutzpah. To to think that he, not a who's not a priest, could violate all that God had said about worship, and he entered in to do this sacrifice of on the altar of incense, and in verse 17, a large delegation of priests warned Josiah and urged him to stop in his but his pride kept him from heeding the warning. Look at verses 17 and 18. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, it will bring you to honor, it, it, and it, it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. In fact, it would bring him destruction, like our proverb uh, says. Well, he wound up, go down to verses 19 through 21. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. Leprosy was judgment of God on him. And you know from reading scripture that when a person had leprosy, they had to be separated from the rest of the people. And he spent the rest of his life In terrible isolation and it was a result of of judgment it goes on um, and Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him and behold he was leprous in his forehead and they rushed him out quickly and he himself hurried to go on go go out because the Lord had struck him and King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death and being a leper lived in a separate house for he was excluded from the house of the Lord, and Jotham his son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Pride resulted in destruction, uh, some others in Scripture. There's Haman in Esther six six to fourteen. We won't turn there, but you remember the wonderful story in the in the book of Esther about uh, Esther and and Haman hated the Jews and came came up with a plot to destroy the Jews, and God used Esther to expose that, and and judgment came to Haman. He had built. Uh, an, a, 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 a gallows on where they hanged people for the purpose of hanging Mordecai, a Jew, to start this destruction of the Jews. And you know what happened to him. He wound up the person, Haman wound up the person, hung on that uh, uh, gallows. Again, pride led to destruction. There's Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, 29-33, Nebuchadnezzar talks about he was so lifted up in pride as he was the leader of this worldwide empire that felt was invincible and he was lifted in pride and God struck him down and he wound up thinking he was an animal grazing uh, for food just like a cow but He repented, and it's one of the amazing stories in Scripture and came to faith in the Messiah and was restored. Uh, And then there's Peter in the New Testament, in Matthew 26, 33 to 35, and verses 69 to 75. He boasted of his undying loyalty to Jesus. Oh, everyone else might fall away from you but not me. He was lifted in pride. And destruction came as the rooster crowed. And Jesus had had told him, you know, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And when that rooster crowed, Peter realized what he had done, and he was lifted up in pride. But he humbled himself, and he wept tears. Not false tears, but true tears of repentance before the Lord. And he was restored. In John 21, Jesus restored him to wonderful ministry. But he was, he was shattered, his dream was shattered as a result of that uh, pride which led him to deny uh, his Lord. And you can go on with others in Scripture. But turning back to Proverbs 16, it continues, In verse 18, in a haughty spirit before a fall, haughty spirit speaks of pride. And then in verse 19, it is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Now, verse 19 emphasizes why it is to your advantage not to be filled with pride. Because it is better to be a lowly spirit with the with the poor Uh, a lowly spirit is talking about a person with an attitude lowly spirit is refers to an attitude it's an it's a humble attitude that also goes with a humble lifestyle and jesus explained in the new testament why it is to your advantage not to be full of pride turn over to the very first beatitude in matthew chapter 5. matthew chapter 5 verse 3. matthew 5 3. blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, the poor in spirit, the word poor there, the Greek word poor there is not referring to a poor person uh, who lives from paycheck to paycheck and can barely pay their bills, but it's the word for a total beggar. Uh, This Greek word is used later in Luke 16 concerning a beggar named Lazarus, not the Lazarus who was raised from the dead, but another Lazarus. And he is called a beggar. He was so poor that he had to beg. He, he had nothing. And it's a word for someone with no job and no paycheck. Their only hope for survival is that someone will give them enough food to eat. So that's the word poor. But Jesus said the poor not in bank account, but the poor in spirit. Uh, that's a person who is not filled with pride. It's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of the self-sufficiency of pride. And realize that they have to depend upon God. That, that's the poor in spirit. I have nothing in myself. I have to depend upon God. There is a, a great commentator uh, from uh, the mid-1900s named A.W. Pink, And uh, I like what he wrote on this. He said, To be poor in spirit is to realize that I have nothing and can do nothing and have need of all things. That's the person who is poor in spirit. It is no accident that this is the number one beatitude, first in the order, because it's a fundamental characteristic of, of believers. But he says... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is not something that we wait for, but we are in the kingdom right now. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear Son. We are under the Lord's care, protection, and his authority because we are in his kingdom. Well, Turning back here to uh, Proverbs 16, 19. It is better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the prou- with, with the proud. The idea of dividing the spoil, that's, that pictures someone who comes into wealth uh, in one way or another. Now in that culture, it was most commonly used of soldiers who would be fighting a battle and they defeat someone, and they get to take home the spoil of the battle. This person has money, this person has wealth and clothing and different things, and and they would take that. That was was part of the system of warfare, and that was partaking of the spoils, uh, dividing the spoils. Now, in this case, he seems to be speaking of coming into wealth in an unethical way, uh, by cheating or robbing or something like that. So it's better to be a lowly spirit with the poor, than to divide the spoil with the proud. Why? Because the proud, their prosperity is only temporary. But when we have spiritual prosperity and God's blessing, it is eternal. Now sometimes, after we've been a Christian for a while, we become apathetic to the poverty of spirit. and. we, consec- we concentrate on ourselves and how to please ourselves rather than recognizing our dependence on the Lord for everything. Uh, turn over to John 15, verse 5, very important verse for the, for the believer, John 15, verse 5. It's in the uh, chapter where Jesus talks about, I am the vine and you are the branches, and in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bear much fruit. But look at the last part. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So when a spirit of, of apathy comes over us, and uh, we kind of... Um, lose that dependence upon the Lord and, and are thinking highly of ourselves. Go back to this: that with apart from me, you can do nothing. So how would we apply the verses 18 and 19? Well every day we need to realize that without the Lord we have nothing. And we are to meditate on scripture throughout the day and to pray. The second proverb tonight is in verse 20. Paying attention to God's word will result in great blessing. I don't think that's new to anyone here. Uh, we've we've known that. We've we've heard it. We've told people that. But it, Proverbs reminds us a lot of a lot of things that we already know that we need reminding about. <clears throat> Whoever gives thought to the word. Uh, that is the idea, uh, pays attention to the word. Now the word there uh, is referring to the word, the message from God. In other words, God's word, uh, our Bible, the inspired word of God. Some people... Translate that word "word" uh, from Hebrew as instruction, or, or something like that. But that same expression, uh, the word, shows up in Proverbs thirteen thirteen. We won't turn there, but it, there it clearly refers to a word from God, and I think that's obvious. That's what it's talking about here. Now, the book of Proverbs opened. Uh, with in, uh, some some great encouragement to pay attention to God's Word. Uh, we studied it a long time ago. Let's go back and look at it, uh, and that's in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. My son, if you receive my words, and uh, since this is God speaking, Solomon writing, but God speaking, it's not just Solomon's words, but it's God's words. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, which is a synonym for God's word, and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it, like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So we, at the very beginning of Proverbs, were exhorted uh, to pay attention to the word. Now, I I read a recent study by the American Bible Society of Americans as a whole. So this is not just believers, but Americans as a whole Thirty-nine uh, percent of Americans claim to have read their Bibles on their own, even just a few times, the previous year, and that dropped from fifty percent the previous year. Now, I I have every reason to believe that believers have a higher amount. I would be curious to know, but. Uh, we need to make sure that we are paying attention to the Word of God, and it starts with reading it. So we need to make an active and determined effort to know and pay attention to God's Word. So, for instance, we need to be reading God's Word every day, not wait for Wednesday night and Sunday. And I would strongly urge to look for a quiet time and a quiet place to do that. <clears throat> and when I say quiet, the idea is without distraction. Now, I love music and I also love to read. And most of the time when I'm reading for enjoyment, I'm also playing music. I get to do two things at once, but I don't play music when I'm reading God's Word because I don't want anything to distract me, even though that music has good words. I want to be able to pay attention. So I think it's very important find a place, a time, without uh, distractions or a minimum of distractions for digging into God's Word. And then, of course, when we come to church to hear God's Word and to learn God's Word and to worship and to read. We need to be paying attention. I think it's good to have a pen handy. And as the teaching is going, to be able to write some things. Even if you'll never go back and look at it, still writing it helps put it in your mind to pay attention to God's Word. But a wonderful promise here, whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. The word good there is prosperity and blessing. And he said, blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. That word blessed, just like Psalm one blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Same word. And so on. The word blessed means fortunate, happy, but not a happiness that depends upon circumstances. It's a happiness, it's really a joy that's deep down inside. But the interesting thing about the Hebrew word, it's in the plural. It's never translated in English that way. It does, doesn't work in English to say blessedness is he who trusts in the Lord. But to know in Hebrew, it's in plural, which intensifies it. That it is deep blessedness. It is Intense blessedness is he who has paid attention to the word, and then consequently, the result is going to be of trusting, of, of being paying attention to the word. The result, one of the results, is going to be that uh, we are trusting in the Lord. Turn over to the book of Jeremiah. <clears throat> Two great verses in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17. Um, Jeremiah 17.9 is a very well-known verse to memorize. I remember when I was really young and given giving a packet of memory verses, Jeremiah 17.9 was one of those. The heart is uh, deceitful, desperately wicked, who can know it? Ah, but so often people know verse 9, but don't pay much attention to verses 7 and 8, the two verses in front of it. Look at the Proverbs, or, or Jeremiah seventeen seven. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water, that's similar to Psalm 1, 1, that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. In most of the land of Israel, uh, they have a climate where they don't get rain all year. And uh, a tree isn't going to be able to depend upon rain year-round. It has to have roots that go down to a water source. But if it doesn't have roots to go to a, a water source, if that tree had feelings, it would fear when the heat comes. And this is saying, but people do have feelings. And when the heat comes, that is time of trial. And its leaves will remain green. Instead of withering in all kinds of anger and bitterness, it is growing in trust in the Lord. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. Wonderful verse on trusting the Lord. And even in the midst of the biggest difficulty that you can have, it will produce green leaves, not dead leaves. Well, turning back to to Proverbs. So he's talking about this person is blessed, who trusts in the Lord, this person who pays attention to God's word and will realize his dependence upon the Lord and lean on the Lord just as a child does his parents. Therefore, he will trust. He will pray rather than worry. Uh, We won't turn there, but to remind you of Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which tell us, don't worry about anything but trust in the Lord about everything and to pray for concerning everything. And so this is a great promise for the person who pays attention to God's word. The third proverb is in verse 21, speak sweetly from a heart of wisdom. Look at verse 21. The wise of heart is called discerning. Now, we've seen numerous times in Proverbs reminders about the heart of man. And we've seen that the heart of man in Proverbs is not speaking about the internal organ, but it's the place where our thoughts originate and... uh, Our words originate, it's the place of our intentions and our motivations, and and even our worship originate there. It's the source of our thinking, our feelings, our emotions. The heart has been called mission control of the human body, just like with NASA, when they're sending rockets up and people into outer space and so on. They have mission control uh, in Houston or someplace that is just controlling everything. Well, the heart is like that uh, for us. But the problem is we are born into this world with a a heart that is desperately wicked, as it says in Jeremiah 17.9. Genesis 6.5 talks about it. Romans 3.9 and following verses talk about it. Um, We are born with that kind of heart. But to be wise of heart We need a heart that has been transformed by Christ, transformed by the gospel. It's what Jesus called being born again, having this new heart. It's part of the new covenant promise in Ezekiel and Jeremiah that we would have a new heart, transformed heart. And then as we we have come to salvation, we have a transformed heart but then we have a heart that because of sanctification is more and more directing us in the path of godliness. Well, this proverb is talking about the wise of heart. This this person who's wise of heart has a heart that's been transformed by the gospel. So the wise of heart is called discerning. It won't take long for a person who is wise in heart to have a reputation of being discerning. By that we mean he understands the ins and outs of something and understands the right course to take. And it's that kind of person that we love to talk to and uh, get insights from that would help us and in our struggles. And then God wants us to be a person with a wise heart, to be able to share with someone else. So the wise of heart is called discerning. And sweetness of speech, he talks about in, in the next verse, this sweetness of speech, instead of bitter words, is sweet. Now, sweet doesn't refer to slick, sugary words of manipulation. We all know people like that who just pour on the syrup. They're syrupy, and, and they're really not sincere and so on. It's just trying to butter you up and so on. But that, this doesn't refer to words like that in, in the sense of sweet. But they are words that are just right in their tone and in their presentation. They are unselfish. They are understanding, they are timely, and they are so sweet that they increase the appetite of those who listen to them. And then he adds something else to it. Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. The wise person is able to be God's instrument to convince others of the way that the Lord would have them go. Praise God. For people that have been like that in your life, and my life. And God wants us to be like that in other people's lives. And harsh, bitter words do the opposite. But this is talking about the opposite of that sweetness of speech. When I was thinking of the harsh, bitter words, <clears throat> I thought of a person when I was, uh, The summer after I graduated from college, and then the next summer, I directed the program at a Christian camp, and uh, every week we would have a new group of campers, and every week we would have a different pastor and his wife that we were connected with come, and the pastor would be called the pastor of the week, and his wife would, would also be there participating. There was one particular pastor's wife that I, I, I don't know how to describe the bitter, angry words that came out of her. It didn't go along with her husband. Her husband was the opposite. I don't know what the problem was. But when I was, was thinking this of this, my, my mind turned to her, and I thought, that is, that's not the opposite of what God wants from us. He wants us to have sweet words, and that they, they uh, minister to people and pray that the sweet words would be part of our lives. Then the next proverb in verse 22. Let your understanding refresh everyone. It's a similar proverb. Look at verse 22. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it. Now, this expression good sense, some people translate it understanding or discretion or prudence or insight or wisdom. All those words are different aspects of it. And we all know people who when they are talking, it talk comes out like they are talking or speaking a word salad. I had never heard that expression until maybe a year ago began to hear it referring to a certain politician in our in our country uh, every time this person opens their mouth, it seems like a word salad began to hear that and so i I Googled word salad to see, well, what, what exactly is a word salad? And, and a word salad is a lot of words that don't make a lot of sense, and they're just words. And that's the opposite of what we are to have. We are to have good sense. And how can a person be like this? with good sense. Again, it goes back to the heart. Uh, Matthew 12, 34 and 35, Jesus talks about out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your heart needs to be a godly heart, growing in the knowledge of God, and it will show up in what comes out of your mouth. He calls, he says here, good sense is a fountain of life. Now there are three important traits of these words, a fountain of life, the words that are a fountain of life. A fountain of life or these words referred to here, they are refreshing, especially when you're in a land like Israel where there's not a lot of rain. And you come to a, a fountain, a spring of water that is, is bubbling up, and it's cool and refreshing. And uh, the believer's words are to be like that. Uh, not, not, not saying we're never to speak words of discipline and judgment. We are. But that's, that's a different subject. But here he's talking about in our normal course of conversation and talking. Are my words like a fountain of life, refreshing? Secondly, they are life-sustaining. A person is just so thirsty, and, and they come to that fountain, and they're just rejuvenated. And then they are inexhaustible. There's no end to what a wise person can learn and communicate. Now, in the New Testament, we discover Jesus is like this. A spring welling up, it says, to eternal life. Turn to John chapter 4, verse 14. John 4, John 4, 14, remember Jesus was in Samaria, he's at the well, it's hot, he's thirsty, and Jacob's well is there, been dug by Jacob hundreds of years before, and it was still there and still bubbling, and it's still there and still bubbling today, by the way. I've, I've been there. And uh, it's good water. But um, in John four fourteen, he meets this woman, and, and uh, there's Jacob's well there. He wants a cup of water, and he asks her, but he has a greater purpose. He wants to introduce her to himself, the fountain of living water. And so <clears throat> he says in, in verse 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, will never be thirsty again. Not physical water, talking about spiritual water. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, I don't think I have ever used or heard that expression used in daily conversation uh, in the United States. Um, maybe if you live in the country and you have wells, maybe you'll talk about it welling up. My only experience is, has been here, but the idea of this fountain welling up is that uh, it, the, this is not stagnant water, but it is water that is fresh and bubbling. And so he's talking about this eternal life that he offers that he is this eternal life, and uh, it, it produces abundant life. John 10.10, Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Then turn over to John 7. <clears throat> Later in Jesus' ministry, he uses the illustration of water again. In John 7. 37 he's in jerusalem for a jewish feast it's the feast of tabernacles where they uh, remember god's provision for them in the wilderness 40 years under moses one of the things that god did was supply water so part of the ceremony uh, on this uh, during this feast of tabernacles the priest would go to uh, the pool of siloam which is water bubbling up, would take some water, a cup of water, and take it and pour it out at the temple. Well, that's going on in Jesus, said in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water now this he said about the spirit whom they the whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because jesus was not yet glorified so this wonderful picture of jesus being the fountain of living water now to be a fountain it has to be plugged into a source and um, uh, psalm 36 verse 9 talks about the source of water is is the lord himself and then you have this statement in john 4:14 4, but i got to thinking about that <clears throat> and thought you know the connection to the source cannot be clogged by sin if you have a fountain, but it's clogged by mud or dirt, you're not going to be getting water or certainly not clean water. And so the word of God talks to us about, you know, sin clogs that, that fellowship with the living water. Psalm sixty six eighteen. 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And so we need to make sure that there is not the clogging in our heart of sin. Turning back to Proverbs 16, continuing in verse 22, good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it. This person who has it, he has it because he has the transformed heart. Uh, There's no other way he can have it than to have the transformed heart. And one other factor, and that is constantly filling our mind with the wisdom of God, which is God's word. And uh, note that unless our good sense, because the verse started talking about this idea of good sense, unless our... Good sense is filled with the wisdom of God, God's truth, the word of God's truth. It will be a poisoned fountain, not a fountain of life. And so therefore, the last line, but the instruction of fools, the person without God's wisdom, the person without the transformed heart, the non-believer, the instruction of fools is folly. It's kind of like what Jesus said, that famous statement in Matthew 15, 14, and if the blind lead the blind, they both will fall into the ditch. Great proverbs, very, very simple proverbs dealing with things that we have heard before, but we always need reminding. I think we'll leave the last one that's on there for next time, but... Just to kind of summarize and and apply, uh, the first proverb, walk in the spirit of humility. Listen to God's warnings about your thoughts and actions. Remember King Amaziah, King Uzziah? They didn't listen. And turn from self-sufficiency and trust in God. Remember A.W. Pink's statement? To be poor in spirit is to realize that I have nothing and can do nothing and have need of all things. And throughout the day, meditate on Scripture. If you are not doing that, begin uh, even tonight with meditating on Scripture before you go to sleep and continue that tomorrow. And then the second proverb Paying attention to God's word will result in great blessing. How will you pay attention to God's word this week? Read God's word, study God's word, meditate, share with someone what you have learned. And speaks, then the third one tonight speaks sweetly from a heart of wisdom. Make sure that you have a transformed heart and that you are growing in sanctification and walking in the spirit. And then the fourth one, let your understanding refresh everyone. If your words aren't a fountain of life, examine your life to see if you're connected to the spring of living water, or check to see if the connection is clogged with some sin. And become a person whose understanding refreshes everyone. And of course, these are proverbs that apply to people who have been transformed in their heart, who have salvation. And if anyone listening tonight does not have salvation, you cannot reform yourself, self-reform yourself to keep these Proverbs. You need to come in repentance before God and trust Christ as your Savior and to be made a new creation in Christ. And then you will have the power in your heart and life to do what God has said in these Proverbs. Let's pray. Father, we pray for our hearts with these Proverbs. Father, that they would be ringing in our minds and our hearts in the days to come, and we would apply them, and we would pay attention to your word. We would be sensitive to your warnings about pride, and we would be people who are sharing with the words of the sweetness of the gospel and we pray in jesus name amen